We're all about turning a crappy situation into something positive. A quarter million dollars of credit card I debt. I still remember the day when no one turned up. Throw it in the garbage and start from scratch. I could give myself a chance, so I started something. I mean, I think that counts as from poop to gold. <laughs> Welcome back to From Poop to Gold, everyone. My name is Keith Grover. I'm the podcast producer. Um, and today we have a great guest. His name is Shashir, and he's the co-founder and CEO of Coda. How are you doing, Shashir? I'm doing great. <laughs> That's great to hear. Um, so the big question that I've been having is what got you to the point where you are now? Yeah, just uh, let's see. For your, for your listeners, I'm currently the uh, founder of a company called Coda. Um, working backwards a bit before this, I spent about six years at Google. I ran the YouTube products, um, from about 2008, 2014. Um, before that, I spent a few years at Microsoft, worked on office windows and SQL server. Before that, I started a company called Centrata that was out of college and, uh, growing up, I grew up in, in Virginia, military town, um, in Southeastern Virginia called Yorktown. And, uh, and then I studied at, uh, MIT out in Boston and started Centrata from there. Wow. So you have a lot of, uh, entrepreneurship behind you already. Yeah. I've been lucky to have some great experiences. Um, so I was reading, um, an interview that you had with NASDAQ. And one of the things that you said that really interested me was um, that you started noticing holes in apps and things like that. And that's how you ended up um, founding Coda. What in your background kind of caused you to start seeing those holes? Yeah, I mean, Coda is an interesting story. The uh, In some ways, the things we're working on here, I've been observing and thinking about for, for two decades now. And there, there's basically two observations that drive Coda. Just for your listeners, Coda is a new type of doc. It blends the best parts of documents, presentations, spreadsheets, applications into an all-in-one document where anyone can make docs as powerful as apps. And it's formed out of these two main observations of the world. One is everywhere I looked, I saw uh, that people use docs, not apps. And and the the, the way I would, um, you, you sort of saw it everywhere. You ask a team, what do you use to run yourselves? And they'd they name all sorts of applications they're using for tracking inventory or customers or so on. And then you watch them day to day and what, where do they land? They're in a, you know, a document, a spreadsheet or a, or a presentation. It seemed like so much of work is done that way. And then the second main observation was that those tools uh, are all pro- sort of frozen in time. They're all, they're all the things that we've been used to for almost um, 40 years now. You know, the, the metaphors for today's documents, spreadsheets and presentations started with, Back in the '70s, we had this running joke at Coda that if you were to if you were to take Austin Austin Powers and he came out of his freezing chamber today, he wouldn't know what uh, clothes to wear or what music to listen to, but he would absolutely know how to work a document, a spreadsheet, and a presentation mm-hmm. because all the metaphors were set in the 1970s. Um, and so you take those two ideas and you put them together and say, "Hey, this here's this thing we use that we run our teams, our businesses, our lives, our families." Um, uh, in this way, and that piece of technology hasn't changed in 40 years. Seems like time to go start again. And so we started Coda with that frame. What if, what if we were to start from scratch, build an entirely new doc, ignore the past, and 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 start again? Yeah. So I was doing some research on Coda specifically, and I love how it's just kind of this living document that kind of grows with the company. I definitely suggest that people 
should go check that out. Yeah, it's, a, it's one of the most fun products I've ever had a chance to work on. It's, uh, it's amazing watching what people end up doing in Coda. Yeah, no, definitely. So what's, what's the hardest part of starting a business? Uh, oh, there's lots of hard parts of starting a business. Um, you know, I get asked a lot by, by people uh, whether or not they should start, start a business. And I, I always tell them to ask themselves two questions. One is, do you have an idea that you can't imagine not working on? And the second is, do you have a person or a team to work with that you can't imagine not working with? Um, and I generally tell people if you're if you're lacking one of the two things, you probably shouldn't start. And it's, it's amazing how many people I see with, well, I've got this person, and we've got you know we're ready to get started, but we have no idea what we're going to do. Um, that sometimes works, and in my experience, it it, it uh, tends to work less often uh, than than people might think. And then the other way I see people who like they've got a great idea, but they haven't been able to convince the first person to join them, and it's usually a a little bit of a litmus test of like, can you go get get someone you really care about to jump in with you? So I think that if you take those two different parts, I think that's, you know, with Coda, I found that all of a sudden, I mean, starting a company, I started a company before, I've worked in a lot of startup uh, uh, environments, uh, scaled them up and, and so on. For me, um, there's, you'll meet some entrepreneurs for which starting companies is all they know how to do. And it's like, they're, that's, that's not me. I mean, I'm, I'm quite comfortable with running larger businesses, smaller businesses. Like I, I, I don't have a bias towards startups. In fact, I think startups are often the hardest way to get your idea out to market. So Coda started with me uh, actually helping my co-founder, Alex, uh, with his startup. He was, he, was, uh, he was starting a company that you know, thankfully wasn't going that well, and I had given him a set of startup ideas. And I just found myself um, you know, just, just waking up in the middle of the night with this like picture in my head of this product and I would sketch things out and then we'd go talk about it. And I was so excited for him to do it. And then I just realized that actually I'm pretty excited to do this too. And, uh, and I think when that lightning strikes and you can answer both those questions, uh, then you kind of have to start the company. Hmm. And I have noticed that, especially with, uh, like the founders here at Harmon brothers, it was definitely one yeah. of those like, well, I guess we're a business now. It has to happen. So yeah. that is yeah, super no, I've had cool. a chance to work with the, the Harmon brothers for almost a decade now, and it definitely is a very impassioned group of brothers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> very much so. So all successful people have kind of a poop to gold moment, and that's kind of the theme of this podcast. Um, what is a situation that you've had that was really crappy that you were able to turn around? I love the I love the phrase. Um, and actually, interestingly, I think my poop to gold moment probably uh, I'm not sure if this is true of a lot of your listeners, but mine actually involves where I think that phrase came from. Um, really? And and, uh, and what those what those early days of uh, uh, I think that's an oral pop phrase, right? Um, <laughs> it probably uh, the, is. I mean, I. In my career, there's a, there's a really obvious one. You go look through my my history. The the poop to gold moment was was joining YouTube, and I joined YouTube 2008. Um, at the time, it was uh, nowadays everybody thinks of YouTube as as being a pretty obvious property. Uh, at the time, it was seen as a big mistake, right? It was seen as um, Google's first big blunder. It hmm. was known for uh, grainy videos of cats doing. Uh, funny things, uh, lots of lawsuits, losing lots of money. Just everything about it said, uh-oh, Google screwed up. Um, this thing's not going to work. I joined um, 
and uh, you know, my mom would send me these these press articles of like, you know, hey, I joined YouTube, and like every article was negative. Like, hey, did are you sure you did the right thing? You know, because everybody seems to think this is never going to work. And uh, and I think that was, you know, there was a group of us that came in about that time in 2008 that were all a little bit, you know, we all had a little bit of a chip on our shoulder about it. We we all had a view of no, no, I think this thing can work. Mm-hmm. And the it's rare to see that level of consumer enthusiasm, that quick, that that level of ecosystem being started. And all we have to do is put a few guardrails in place, and this thing can go from being an interesting property and a fun place to hang out to being a great business and a really meaningful impact to the world. Um, I gave this this talk in in 2009. I was uh, I don't know maybe six months into the job, and um, I was asked to speak to this group in New York, and the uh, just sort of try to explain YouTube's role in the world and where our plans were and and so on. And, and I used this phrase that ended up being it basically became my my kind of rallying cry for the, mm-hmm. for the next few years, which was that online video is going to do to cable what cable did to broadcast. Hmm. And we're going to go from, you know, three channels to 300 channels to 3 million channels. And, you know, when I said it, it was, oh, it was almost laughable. I mean, at the time, YouTube was compared to um, most commonly to MySpace, to Flickr. Mm-hmm. Uh, like these are the pro- and I, I get off the stage and then people come up to me and say, I don't understand what you're talking about. Like you, you really, you really think YouTube has a role next to Disney and ESPN, and mm-hmm. you know what, what? What does that even mean? Like that, that doesn't seem at all what this thing is about. But we had a group of us that were pretty convicted about it, and we took this property that had great consumer enthusiasm, um, not a particularly good business or sustainable model, and we turned it around. And YouTube these days now, when I say that you know online video is going to do cable, cable to to the broadcast is like fairly obvious that not only is that likely to happen, it's mostly happened already. Um, and uh, it just took a lot of persistence to get there. Oh, yeah, definitely. And like looking in hindsight, um, it's almost laughable to say um, YouTube wasn't going to end up there. Yeah. Actually, so, that, so I didn't connect it back for you for the, well, the, the, the reason poop to gold is part of that experience. Is if you look at okay, so we take on this YouTube um, uh, uh, opportunity and um, lots of people thought it was poopy. We saw gold in it. And the uh, and uh, and you think about what turned it around. I mean, some of it was just good hygiene, getting getting the right uh, metrics in place, the right ways of operating the business. So on. there's a lot we did on content creators. And at the time, it was there was a lot of friction in becoming a content creator on YouTube. We had all these one-off deals. You had to know somebody. You had to like all like the the incentive loop that exists today where you like run into kids who say their dream is to become a YouTube creator. Like that's not what it felt like then. It was, oh, yeah. you, you, you fought through lots of hoops to get there. And then on the, and then on the advertising side, we had this moment of insight that said, what if we could align the interests of the advertiser and the viewer a little bit more? And, hmm. and we had this idea for an ad format uh, that uh, it's called TrueView, And most consumers know it as skippable ads. And the, the, the reason it, it overlaps with this story it, our exemplar first um, like breakout TrueView ad was an ad called "Why Do People Have Bad Breath," and it was from the Harmon Brothers, and it was for a product called uh, Aura Brush. And uh, the story behind it, I'm, I'm assuming some of your listeners may know this, but I'll, I'll, I'll give my version of it. You know, they had been uh, working with this inventor who had invented this this tongue scraper, this toothbrush for your tongue, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't selling. He tried everything. He put it in retail and 
tried at CVS, all these different places that wasn't selling anywhere. Or they tried the Q, uh, they call it QVC. None of it was working. So they they come up with a video for it that was just hilarious. You know, why do people have bad breath? It was really funny. They ran it as one of the. It was actually one of the five first videos we ran in this new ad system, this thing we call Preview, and it just blew all the other ads out of the water. I mean, it was up against. It was up against uh, movie trailers, you know, things from Apple, all these different people. But this, like, you know, small little startup with this product that was unsellable managed to get millions of views of this of this ad, and they built ads as good as content. And uh, and then they went on from Aura Brush to like Aura Pup, which is I think where Poop to Gold comes from because I think that was the slogan mm-hmm. for for Aura Pup. Um, anyways, I think it's uh, it was um, interesting because I think the like the story of turning YouTube that way and aligning those interests and getting the ecosystem moving and so on was pretty aligned to, I think, I think what led this podcast to exist. So, oh yeah. man, that is so great. I'm so glad you told me that. I just enjoy hearing about the Harmon brothers history and kind of yeah, how yeah. it kind of like ramped up to where it is now. So, yeah. um, thank yeah. you so much for that. Uh, the next question I have is how do you create and like cultivate creativity in your environment and how do you um, get other people on board with that idea? Um, I think cultivate creativity and uh, I mean, I think there's probably, uh, there's a couple things that come to mind. Um, uh, and I'll, 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 I'll bucket them into two areas. What one, one I will, I'll call, a theme of what I call great ideas take time to grow and another one which I'll, I'll, I'll label as eigen questions is the word we use for it. Um, you know, I, I'll start with the first one, great ideas take time to grow. I, I think the, I think one of the challenges of many creative processes is that it's very hard to be creative under duress. Um, hmm. And some of the things that are most interesting are pretty ugly when they start. And uh, to use your poop to gold analogy, um, and so creating environments where people can brainstorm, uh, be creative, uh, and not have pressure that the thing they're doing needs to immediately be obvious to everyone is very tricky to do. And then you have to have the discipline to push those things onto a shelf and not force yourself to evaluate them as actionable right away. And, you know, so we do, we do a number of things for that. I mean, probably the most iconic for, for Coda is we do, uh, uh, hackathons are a big part of our culture. Uh, we do three to four a year. Most of the really good ideas in the product came out of hackathons, and we do mm-hmm. them in 24 to 36 hour sprints. Um, but interestingly, and I do this, you know, we've done you know, a dozen plus of these now, and the um, and uh, you can go back and trace. I do this uh, uh, for new new hires as well. It's so, like you you go back and look through past hackathons, and you can trace them forward and say like, here's this one we did. And here's where it ended up in the product, but the latency between that can be it, it can be years. And you know that same idea that looked like a interesting but kind of weird thing two years ago, all of a sudden like something else happened and it like swaps in place. So like I think creating environments where where you can put things on a shelf and and uh, sometimes we use the term put them in the greenhouse and sometimes you like rotate the plants around and. You know this this plant. You're gonna you know it's not gonna die fast, but uh, you also need to keep it watered just a little bit, and then put it on the side. Don't put it out the front. It's not the showcase yet, and then wait uh, wait for its uh, for its time to come. Um, so that's kind of I think one principle. 
the 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 other one I'd say is um, we call it eigen questions, and I and I and I think uh, a, a, a better maybe a different way to phrase it is just asking the right questions. Mm -hmm. And I think the um, so this is it's a little bit geeky. I was a math major in college, and so there's a term in linear algebra called eigenvalues and eigenvectors, which is uh, a really geeky term. A lot of machine learning people use it all the time. The layman's version of it is uh, how do you take a many-dimensional problem mm -hmm. and find the um, they call it the eigenvector is the the path through that most describes the problem space. Like so many good examples of this. I mean, what one that that um, is always memorable to me is there was this there was this time this was probably 2010 or so that where YouTube we had this um, one of the big debates on YouTube at that time was uh, that we called it the link out question. So people would come to YouTube and they would search for something at the time. The query that was uh, used as the example here was Modern Family. So you come to YouTube, you search for Modern Family. We didn't have Modern Family. Hmm. Um, and so you'd find a bunch of grainy clips of Modern Family. We didn't have a good deal with them either, so they weren't particularly good. But you were you know, left pretty unsatisfied. And there was this big debate about whether or not to, whether or not to just show the results. Say, hey, here's what it is on abc.com. And there was this mindset of you know, basically the, the product people and the engineers all said, hey, we're owned by Google. Uh, Google's job is to get you the answers to the questions they're looking for. If you come to us and ask for Modern Family, we should give you the best answer we can. And then we had a set of business development people that said, boy, if you do that, we're never going to get deals with anybody because um, there's like no, there's no incentive. And and basically, this this was a they were like we're a complete standstill. And so like in terms of in terms of looking at why this is important to a creative process and so on, like it was it was this this choice was framed as like almost like good versus evil. Like it was almost like you know if you do you can either do the right thing for the user or do the wrong thing, and that seemed like a really bad way to look at this choice. And then one person came and said, actually, I think maybe we're looking at this choice wrong. And we said, hey, look at look at Amazon as an example. Um, we have Amazon and we have Google product search. At the time, it was called Frugal. If you remember that 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 time? That was what uh, Google Shopping was called before Google product search. And um, and it was indexing all of Amazon and every other product on the internet. And yet Amazon was kicking its butt. Like users clearly preferred going to Amazon. And any reasonable person would say, why would you go to the thing that's a subset? Like why wouldn't you go to the thing that that covers everything? Mm -hmm. And the answer was pretty simple. People were picking consistency over comprehensiveness. And people were saying, mm -hmm. I'd rather go to this one property that may have a smaller catalog, but I know exactly the experience I'm getting. And I know the shipping is going to work and it's going to, I know how the reviews work. I know how the refunds work and so on. And, uh, and that was valued ahead of comprehensiveness. And so all of a sudden we came back in discussion and said, okay, like what if we rethink this from that perspective? What about consistency versus comprehensiveness? And then when the question was framed that way, now you had a really meaningful debate and there are all sorts of creative ideas. And we said, but actually, if we're going to make the choice to be consistent over comprehensive, uh, that makes total sense. Then we should probably make a bunch of other choices that are consistent with that. And we went and did things like we rebuilt our mobile experience to support the full catalog. We made sure all the different content played in all the different places. There was a time where, like, depending on the device you picked up, you get a different corpus of, the, uh, of YouTube. Like, we got rid of all that. And we sort of leaned into this. So anyways, these are, in terms of creativity, one side of it, I think, is um, giving ideas the space to grow. Mm -hmm. And the other side of it is asking the right questions. And sometimes you find that the first question that gets asked, if you just reframe it slightly, you'll get a very different type of energy, uh, motion, creativity out of it. So how do you know when the question is right? I mean, I, I think if, if uh, the, the mathematical definition would say um, it's the one that is most discerning of the problem space. Um, and okay. the, the, uh, 
I think a practical definition would be you've got a list of 10 questions. You can often look at that list and you can say, if I answer them in this order, I, you'll, you'll spot it. Oh, it's like, I'm like, it's confusing. This is confusing. This is confusing. Well, I'm not really that sure. Mm-hmm. But if I answer question number seven first, then all the other questions are like not only easier, some of them don't even need to be answered. Like it's, hmm. it's like really obvious. And, um, and I think one of the hard parts in that creative process is, you know, you'll see this, I think people here at Coda will say this all the time, where we'll get into a review and, our, and I'll say, I think we have the wrong eigenquestion. Like hmm. like there's a symptom of it. You'll just see like, hey, we've got these four questions. Like we're lacking, the, the, where it's not unclear which one is the one that most describes the others. And the chances that we actually have to answer these four really difficult questions is unlikely. Mm-hmm. There's probably one of them that if we answered that, the other ones are, are really clear. Um, and so, you know, how do you know? You, you don't always know. Um, mm-hmm. And this is definitely, I, I think, one of the one of the hardest things to do is, is is find that pattern and break it and say, hey, we're 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 in a loop, and we've like, because you, you'll find people will form irrational attachment mm-hmm. to uh, particular answers or ideas um, because of how the question was framed mm-hmm. and because they're lacking a common frame. Uh, and then when you get the right common frame, you'll find that oftentimes alignment happens a lot faster. Um, hmm. every, everybody gets behind something. So that, that's, you know, pick the question that's most discerning of the problem space. Awesome. That's really great. For our listeners, where would you like to point them um, first to uh, learn more about Coda and then second to learn more about you? Sure. Uh, Coda is easy, coda.io. Uh, give it a try. Send us feedback. The, the, uh, there's a great gallery of templates. And you can see some some examples of different types of docs that people have created. Uh, if you search for me in that gallery, you'll find some of mine. I'll have feedback on those as well. The uh, finding me probably easiest is to find me on Twitter. I'm at Shishimura Ultra. Uh, uh, not that many, uh, not that many of us uh, with that name, so uh, <laughs> pretty easy to find me there. Great. Well, Shashir, I have really enjoyed listening to kind of your backstory, um, your time at YouTube. And all of the advice, Um, we have a book coming to you in the mail, um, and it's called From Poop to Gold, and it it goes over kind of the um, environment that has been created here at Harmon Brothers. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed getting to know you more, Shashir. To our listeners... Thank you for watching and listening. Um, Make sure to like, comment, subscribe, share, all that good stuff, and we'll see you on the next one.